Let Brightbird Press's stationery help you get ready for National Novel Writing Month. Their undated planners, journals, notepads, and sticky notes support your busy, creative writing life. Their stationery includes prompts for brainstorming, outlining, character profiles, habit tracking, and more. With hundreds of happy writers and a five-star average review, Brightbird Press wants to help you, too. Simplify your planning and get back to writing. Save 20% on your next order of $20 or more store-wide. Visit brightbirdpress.com and type YMWB20 during checkout. That's YMWB20. Your mom writes books! Buckle up, you dummy. I can't. I'm holding all the technology and the McDonald's is right there. Listen, this is your mom, Walmart's books. Shut up. <laughs> no, your mom writes books. And uh, I'm Caitlin McFarland, and I'm podcasting from the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> um, so the fate is, is against us again. It ate uh, um, the 20 minutes of podcasting we managed to do last week and wouldn't let us finish that podcast because where we thought was the internet mecca of the woods in Missouri is no longer the internet mecca. So Caitlin is in Walmart. Yes, I'm at the Walmart parking lot. And I did figure it out once um, Once we had to stop because we ran out of time, basically. I had to like go like do a deep internet computer settings dive and change some like random numbers and stuff i don't even know and then it would have worked after that but it's just like they have some weird firewall stuff going on also everyone just so you know just for your for your podcasting pleasure or whatever in the middle of this podcast my husband may return from inside the walmart and we may move to mcdonald's so if that happens, enjoy, I guess. Oh, jeez. I'll just, I'll sing. <laughs> anyway, today we wanted to talk about plotting backwards again. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and basically what it's like and how to write your book from the end. This is really good for genres like thrillers and mysteries. Yes. And as you guys probably know by now, Caitlin and I are fantasy authors. And one of the great things about writing fantasy is that it can incorporate any genre you want. You can write mystery and fantasy. You can write thrillers. You can write horrors. You can write romance. It will all just fit nicely under that fantasy umbrella. So we are familiar with writing backwards as well. Yeah, which because fantasy is like it's it's called a genre it's really more about set dressing than story type in fact have you guys seen that okay have you guys seen that meme that's been going around on like twitter and stuff where it's like when sean bean lives it's sci-fi when sean bean dies it's fantasy um (laughs) i've seen that (laughs) yeah so it's just about like yeah it's just about plot like dressing and stuff so um I don't know if you've ever actually written a book from the end. No, I've never written a book, Charlie. Oh, sorry. I'm just (laughs) kidding. I have. That was a lie. Have you ever done one where you you came up with the ending of the book or maybe even the climax of the book first? So I am definitely somebody who prefers to plot chronologically from the beginning because 
I feel like how can I plot the end if I don't know their emotional state? And like, because I am more of a pantser, I'm like, I don't know exactly what they're going to have gone through at this point. So I can't predict like, you know, what they'll do. And I haven't had a chance to really explore the characters. Because you are character heavy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, I will say, though, that I do generally know the ending where it's like, okay, I know that they're going to live happily ever after, but it's going to be bittersweet because not everybody is going to, like, agree with whatever, like, what happened or, you know, like, in in the dragon books, generally speaking, the ending is happy, but it's not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like... Yeah, so I'll kind of know stuff like that. Like, oh, I know in the end of this other book that I want the bad guy to die and the couple to end up together. And they're going to go rule his kingdom or something. I know that kind of stuff. And then I was going to say, the only book of mine that I can think of where I specifically came up with the ending first and then got the rest of the book to match it was Magic Bitter, Magic Sweet. So uh, if you don't want spoilers for that book, skip ahead a few minutes. But in Magic Bitter, Magic Sweet, a really great comp novel I have for it that I can't really use as a comp novel is Frankenstein because it does ruin the big twist at the end in that the bad guy is actually the child slash creation of the main character. And I came up with that idea first. And I knew I wanted that to be this big reveal at the climax of the book. Because like the climax is basically the ending because sometimes your denouement is really big. Sometimes it's really short. So I consider climax the ending Mm. as well. Um, I would say that in a series, like once I'm getting into books two, three, four, I often do know the ending before I know a lot of how to get there. Because you need in a series, you need to know where you're going, how much of this over encompassing story or what have you are you going to fulfill. So right now, I'm drafting book three of the Wimbrel House series. Which book one is free on Amazon first reads yeah, for get the it. month of October, friends. And yeah, get it. And I'm planning, I haven't started outlining yet. I need to, but I'm planning on a book four for that series. And I already mm-hmm. know the ending of that book. I know exactly what the last scene is going to be. I know how I'm going to resolve this love triangle. I know how the bad guy is going to be defeated. I don't totally yeah. know how I'm getting there. So I think in a series, it's more common for me. I guess that's true because in the kind of, I guess, high fantasy series that I have been wanting to write for like a year now that I've not, uh, it's fine. Um, I did plan out like, okay, I want this many books. I know that this is how the story is going to end generally speaking and i know that you know like you kind of go okay in book one this is the end in book two this is the end so yeah i guess i plotted from those but i still don't know that i plot i guess i'm kind of plotting from both sides simultaneously if that makes sense from the front and the back Mm -hmm. yeah totally makes sense i do do that Mm -hmm. i will say the couple of times that i have plotted backwards a little bit have been when not necessarily from the end but when I wanted to put in a big twist. So if you have a big twist anywhere in your story, that is also something that you can plot backwards from. It doesn't necessarily have to just be the end of the story. Yeah, and I think that plotting backwards from a big twist, a big reveal, whatever it may be, is what helps make that twist so great because you find really clever ways to hide it to foreshadow it and to throw readers off the scent of it 
if you can plot it backwards. And I think that's why plotting backwards is so popular with mysteries and thrillers, because a lot of times with these books, you want to start with mm -hmm. the who done it or maybe even the why somebody yeah. done it mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of idea. And then you can like, you know, it makes me think of um, like pastry dough where you have to put the butter in and then roll it out and then fold it and then put the butter in and then roll it out over and over and over. It's almost like you're just hiding something in the middle like of that. all those layers. All right, listeners, um, it is now 15 minutes since I made the original <laughs> puff pastry metaphor because uh, as promised, Caitlin had to move her car, though uh -huh. it was much earlier than we expected. So yeah, the whole idea of starting... I'm at McDonald's now. Yeah, the whole idea of starting backwards is it does make it easier to hide and mask and layer in your twists and your reveals, again, whether they are in Act 1, Act 2, or Act 3, to make them more exciting for the reader. And again, that's why it's so useful in mystery and thrillers. And I'm sorry if I repeat things that I say, because I just had a 15 minute tangent. <laughs> it wasn't 15 minutes. It was like moving a car, like yeah. 10. Well, there was another tangent first and then he showed up and he just came out of nowhere. Yes. There was another tangent first. Okay. So the twist. I'm trying to think of like the big major twist because writing a story backwards, I do think about you're writing this big twist of act three or the end of the book, however it is that you're plotting your book. So it could be the climax. It could be around the climax. Um, I think an example I wrote down for this is the Veronica Mars series. If you guys haven't watched the Veronica Mars series, it is excellent. I am not a big mystery reader or watcher, but ugh. yes. also Logan. Hello. <laughs> the Veronica Mars is excellent. And I think um, for her, for Veronica Mars, the big twist actually comes right before the climax, mm. which I think is actually pretty common. Like you, I've seen in a lot of mysteries, you find out who done it, and then that knowledge bites you in the butt, and the biting of the butt is the climax, right? Yeah. Then you have to go get them, and then there's an action scene, yeah. or else they've already you just you figure it out, but it's just it's too late. They've already kidnapped the child, and now you have to go save. The child or whatever mm -hmm. or they're coming after you because they know that you know or yes. whatever it might be um, a great great way of seeing how somebody took the twist and wrapped it up in lots and lots of layers is watching yes. veronica mars um, i think that i just finished the book uh good girl's guide to murder i thought they did a really good job as well if you do read a lot of mysteries and you know story math you're gonna guess who it is but if you're not me <laughs> and ruining every book you ever read, um, it's very well done. It is very well done. Um, and even though I did know who it was, I was still surprised by things in the ending. Like there's the major twist and then there's the little twist around the major twist. Like, oh, it could be, oh, who? here's the guy who did it, but he didn't do it for yeah. the reasons you think. Yeah. And that's a twist too. Um, you can just put tons and tons and yes. tons and tons of stuff and in there. And I think also plotting backwards gives you a really good chance to strengthen your character motivations and stuff. One thing that I had mentioned in our last 20 minutes, I actually read recently like a thriller mystery type book. And when we finally got to who did it and what their motivations were, it got one sentence and it was pretty weak. <laughs> like... This person was like, I had to steal the machine that lets me talk to the dead so I could say sorry to the woman I murdered. I just had to kill three other people to do it. And I was like, no. <laughs> 
Mm-mm. Yeah. No. So I remember you telling me about that book and we kind of had decided, I bet that this book was written from the for, from forward going from the beginning. Sorry. This book was written from the beginning mm-hmm. going forward. I wouldn't be surprised if it was pantsed and pantsing a novel is absolutely okay. I mean, Alexa Dunn, who writes thrillers, will even say sometimes she starts writing a novel Sorry, without. I'm having trouble connecting <laughs> to the internet. It looks like an issue. Thank you, Alexa. So Alexa Dunn says that she will actually start um, drafting, not knowing who who did it. They, she might have two or three people in mind who all have a valid motive, and she decides who did it in yeah. Act Two. And I think that's absolutely valid. And and the only thing, again, that we've said this before that you need to know about pantsing is pantsing is super, super valid. A lot of people don't like writing a book if they know how it ends. You just have to be willing to go back and do the revisions to then make the book solid and smooth. It's kind of like you're making the dough and then going back in and adding the butter. So Ah, I guess that works really well for my puff pastry. Um, Cause you make the dough first, I think. I don't know. I've never made puff pastry. I only watch it on TV. I mean, you can't you can't add in the butter later if you're making puff pastry. The butter is n- a necessity. Well, don't you you make like the dough, like a dough, and then you put butter on it, and then you roll it out. You make a dough, and then as look as far as I understand <laughs> from the Great British Baking Show, then yes. You make the dough and then you fold the butter into it and then mm-hmm. you roll it out and then fold and then all that. Yeah. And you have to do it carefully or when you bake it, the butter all runs out. So take care. Um, I, this is something I've said before. You don't need to plot out everything in one sitting. In fact, when I'm mm-hmm. brainstorming a book, if I feel myself starting to really stretch or pull or struggle to come up with, well, how is this going to work or what happens next? I take a break. Um, and honestly, even if I'm not actively thinking about it, it gives me time to mull over stuff and come up with better ideas later. So don't try to do it all at once. Yeah. Your subconscious is magic and it will solve your problems for you if you give it some time and space. At least my subconscious is magic. I hope I hope yours is. No, I absolutely agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. Um, so one of the things that we are folding into our puff pastry metaphor is scapegoats and red herrings. Caitlin, what's a red herring? Um, Charlie, a red herring is a character or plot device that appears to be the person who did the murder or whatever, or was the reason for somebody dying or being, I don't know, whatever your mystery is about. But it is, in fact, not. It is a lie and a distraction. Yeah. You know, what's really fun is that in the book I'm writing right now, I have a red herring that I specifically set up in my outline because I am an outliner. But as I'm writing the book, I have like an accidental second red herring that I didn't plan on. But I just realized that this thing and then the way I worded this other thing totally made this other character look like a red herring. I'm like, this is perfect. Because now people will be like, oh, character one is a red herring for character two. But no, they're both red herrings for character three. Oh, yeah. My favorite thing is to have like four layers of plot so that people are like, oh, now like here's the surface level where people are like, oh, that's too obvious. It can't be the thing. So then they're looking for whatever it is. And so that's where you have your second layer where you put it looks like you're trying to hide a thing that's, you know, like that's the layer where you look like you're trying to put it. But then really there are like two levels underneath that where they don't even know. They don't even know. That's what I like Mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. 
And oh, I remember we said that I said this in our first attempt at recording this episode that sometimes you can hide it in plain sight. So in the Chippendale, the new Chippendale movie, uh, which I was I told Caitlin she needs to watch. Um, they have a big mystery in there about like the who done it, and there's this this really gruff, very stereotypical detective who would seem like the who the one who had done it in like all the old mysteries. And they even say multiple times, well, it wouldn't be him. It's too obvious. And it is him. Mm -hmm. And because it's so obvious, it broke trope expectations, which we can talk about in a minute. And it made us think it was not him, even though it was obviously him. But the obvious of, of it was what hit it. And it's really quite clever. Yeah. The obviousness. He was his own red herring, basically. In in magic, they call it misdirection, right? Like, this is the same thing as having people... Trying to direct people's attention to this hand while you, you know, pull the coin out of your pocket with your other hand. Yes. And hide it behind your back or whatever. I don't... I'm not a magician. But yes. <laughs> it's misdirection. It's misdirection. It's a look over here. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I am... One of the things that you can do when you know the ending is you come up with all the clues that lead to the ending and then you can scatter them throughout the book. You might find a clue that maybe is like the fourth clue. It needs to come in like the four, number four for it to make sense, but maybe they discover it in number one and it doesn't make sense until they find clue number three or they find this one bit of information that doesn't seem relevant until later in the book. We're scattering them. You can also put in misdirection. You can put in things that look like clues that are not relevant that put people off on a wild goose hunt or make them suspect the wrong person up to a point yeah um that will also yeah and that helps with pacing too it helps you make sure that you are spacing things out just enough to keep things interesting but not overloading the reader yes and when you have these things so writing backwards really helps if you focus on the macro before you focus on the micro so even if you are a pantser having a very loose outline of here's the main points really helps when you're writing something like a mystery or a thriller especially so you know here's my big twist here are the five big things that are going to lead up to my twist and the order they come in. I think having just that, you can still pants in between each of those things and figure out the little micro elements that connect all of the macro elements. Yes. And I mean, you know, I, like we kind of touched on earlier, it's awesome to plot your fantasy the same way you would plot a mystery or thriller. Mm. Um, because, yeah, it lets you... It lets you space things out it lets you pull off really big twists i mean essentially the harry potter books are all mysteries mm -hmm. right yeah. like in fantasy clothes which fantasy is basically just clothes um it has nothing <laughs> to do with it, the actual story and so yeah i mean it's i think it's great mm -hmm. and you know it doesn't necessarily have to be a big twist i feel like all novels have some kind of a twist in some way shape or form around the climax like that's what just makes them cool mm -hmm. but you can also have the cool thing okay if you're thinking you know what i just have this image in my mind of this guy and this monster fighting over a gold ring inside a volcano like an ancient volcano mine and i want that to come to fruition mm -hmm. what do i have to do to make cool thing happen and that's you know the end of the lord of the Rings series and i was gonna say you have to invent <laughs> about five different languages and spend 20 years yeah 
20 years writing one single book. <laughs> and like you can take this one little element and working back from that, create this enormous world. And it, obviously if you have something like that, you don't have to go as big as Tolkien did, but it's the same basic idea. So, you know, it's like, okay, well, why is the ring important? Where did the ring come from? Let's put these macro elements going all the way back to the beginning of the book, however you want long you want the book or series to be. And then you go in and you fill it out. Um, yes. And I would say maybe, I don't know if you, if this counts, tell me if you think this counts, Charlie, you can also plot backwards from an idea of just kind of what you want your book to be. Like this isn't plot. Maybe I'm just going off in an insane direction, but like Tolkien wrote like Lord of the Rings and even the Hobbit because, okay, I, I think I'm, I think this is right. He fought in World War One. He wanted to write about fellowship. He wanted to write about bonds of brotherhood. And so he basically wrote backwards from that idea and was like, how can I best illustrate these bonds? How can I show these people forming these relationships that, you know, give me those those feels that I had with the people that I fought with? I believe maybe I'm making it up. But, like, also, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> it does make the good point that there is no correct direction in brainstorming. Yeah. You can start anywhere with any idea, with any part of the book. There is no r right or wrong way to brainstorm a story idea. Mm -hmm. Yes. So something we talked about earlier was tropes. And so understanding the tropes, and we've talked about this before, tropes are not a bad thing. But understanding how the tropes work and understanding how to break those tropes are something that can really help you have a really great twist in a story. And so that's a really great way to start at the end. Think, what is a trope I really like? How does this trope usually end? How can I make this ending new, different, and novel? Mm -hmm. And then how do I work back from that to make that book? So what's a, what's a really common trope that has a very expected ending? Um rags to riches cinderella trope okay so rags to riches okay when we have a rags to riches we usually expect them to end up wealthy and successful at the end of the book okay that's the expectation with a rags to riches trope mm -hmm. so if we're taking that what's something that we could do to twist that trope like the really quick obvious one is oh they just end up being poor again or they end up being poorer than they were before I would say they end up, because that's depressing, if we wanted to write a book where it's, you know, not as bad, we could at least say, like, they discover that, you know, <laughs> the riches they had or the friends they made along the way. <laughs> like, they don't actually need to be rich, right? Like, that's... Well, it's like, so I'm thinking fantasy, because I'm a fantasy author. They receive this prophecy, right? Some kind of rags to riches prophecy that is that is construed in a very specific way, and clues along the book also make it very clear that it's going a certain way. Like maybe they're hunting a literal treasure map. They have found pieces of treasure around the along the way. It looks like the treasure is going to be the treasure. And then you realize it's not. Like it could be the friends we made along the way. It could be some kind of unexpected magic. Uh, maybe the magic they find mm -hmm. is evil. And it and it's complete and like yeah now you do have all this power in the world but now it's taking you over or it has a huge consequence you know that's not something that would be expected and if that happens you've just written book one and now you're writing a series congratulations yes, yes. <laughs> and like this is this is not the first story to do it but that Sandra Bullock 
um, movie that just came out with Channing Tatum. What was that called? Um, the romance novel one. Oh my gosh, I don't know. The Forbidden City, the Hidden, hidden City, Lost City, Lost, the Lost City. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like so that. So they actually have have a twist on this. It's like it's a treasure hunt with a twist at the end. Which again, if you read a lot of books, you watch a lot of movies, it's not going to be like a huge deal, but it's pleasant. It's a pleasant twist. Yeah. They also have a twist kind of in the middle about who the love interest is. That's very abrupt. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that was so that's a really great idea of like a twist in act one. Is that act one or act two that that happened? Oh, gosh. I think that's in act. It's like act two, but like you think like, oh, this guy must be the love interest. And then and, you know, if you've watched the movie previews, you're confused because you already know that Channing Tatum is a love interest. And you're like, what's 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 Brad Pitt doing? It's amazing. Okay. Because like... <laughs> Why it's so great is it absolutely breaks story math. It actually, but it works. It's absolutely believable and fantastic for the story. Mm-hmm. But it took me by surprise, and like I ruin everything for myself. And I loved that. Twist. It was hilarious. Well, it was hilarious too because you can just tell. You, I feel like you can tell the movie was written by people who not, you know, who who read and love romance novels and so yeah they were making fun of romance tropes but it was in a way that's funny to people who read it and not in a way that's going to make you feel bad for liking something that you like which is you know what people like to do with romance novels sometimes so i say the twist at the end of the movie is a feel-good twist and the twist in the middle of the movie was a shock shock factor twist for for sure to scare us and be hilarious in hindsight Yeah, you guys should go watch it. Yeah. It's it's good. It's a great a great example. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I want to talk about it, but now I don't want to like ruin it for people I know, who are listening. So <laughs> I want to talk about how it breaks story math, but that's not what we're talking about today. It's fine. No, no, that would have belonged in our story math episode, Charlie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that I have noticed in the story math of mysteries is that often when you ha- you have these really strong red herrings, and I've noticed right before hits the fan that. Something happens that will falsely return the character or characters to stability. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like everything's okay now. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that's very common. Yeah. And then you find out that the that it's not as it seems. Yeah, they'll often think they got the guy, right? But it's then mm-hmm. it turns out and one more clue surfaces and, oh, no, it's the wrong person because it's actually this person over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or... Or it might be multiple people talking about a certain uh, movie on a train. But um, something else I thought was interesting, again, this is something that Alexa Dunn talks about, which I really recommend you go to her channel on YouTube. She is very knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's Alexa, D-O-N-N-E. And yes, I did unplug my Alexa so that she would stop uh, interrupting our podcast. (laughs) But she said, maybe it's not a twist of who done it. Maybe it's a twist as to who the victim is. And I thought that was really interesting. Oh, yeah. And well, because there can be twists where like you are exploring the murder of some certain person and then it turns out like actually they're the bad guy. And like whether or not that makes it okay that they're dead now is like depends on what genre you're writing (laughs) and how you feel about that morally. And one thing I would say is when you're putting all this together and once I say once you have all your macros in and you can look at the story from beginning to end because that's how it's going to be read. It's totally fine to plot it backwards or honestly however you want but when you can see it from beginning to end to make sure everything is happening very organically because the more organic it is the more of an oomph your twist will have 
the more the reader is going to believe it because you want to make the reader believe one thing and then surprise them with something else. And if you want them to believe what you're doing, it needs to feel natural and needs to feel organic. So I would go in and make sure that that's there and that your micros are connecting all of your macros very organically. You want to explain what you mean by macros and micros? Because I don't think that's a phrase that we've used on this podcast before. It actually is, but it was like episode three. (laughs) Surprise. We're coming back 50 episodes later. Macro is just big thing. Micro is small things. So big Mm -hmm. major plot elements. Um, You go look at Save the Cat, for example, and they'll be like, It'll say catalyst, break into one, midpoint, dark night of the soul. Those are all the big major macro plot points of a book. And micro are all the smaller plot points that can connect them. And actually, now that we're thinking about smaller plot points, it reminds me of something that, again, we said in our first episode that we are talking about. So we've mentioned this before. Caitlin is very character focused when she writes. So we wanted to talk about plotting a character arc backwards. Mm-hmm. Yes. We have talked about that. Wait, have we not? Are we talking about it now? Is that what's happening? Yes, it's happening now. I'm surprised. It's, it's a like twist. Christmas. Oh my gosh. <laughs> ah, Charlie, did you plot backwards from I this did. twist? I planned it. <laughs> I acted like I was confused about my outline to fool you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, plotting a character arc backwards. Yeah, I mean, that's just, we have, I feel like we, we have talked about this a bit before, but I think this is such a great thing to talk about because it's something that I do all the time and I think it's really essential to at least know where you're going with a character for a good story. But like, um, something that I have noticed in a lot of books is that especially like romance novels, um romance novels that are that tend to be maybe put out a little more quickly um which you know I'm not knocking the hustle but this is something I have seen I have to read a lot of these books for my other job my actual job is that people are so focused on making the main characters cool and especially the dudes like desirable that there's nowhere for them to go there's nowhere for them to arc so they don't have a character arc and like Akatar is so so and I've called them out before, so I might as well just, you all know how I feel. So guilty of this. We're like, Resan doesn't really have an arc. I'm going to, and again, every time we do this, I do have to put in the caveat that I do really like those books. Don't hate me. I was thinking about rereading them. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> because they're very id books. And I think that's why she gets away with it. They are very id focused books. And I think that's why they're so popular. Yes. Those Well, those books are totally female power fantasies, except for the part where the women don't actually have any power. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, like, the fantasy is to be, like, the person who's desired by the beautiful, powerful man, and then he's like, I'll share power with you. But then, like, he doesn't care that you're about to die, for, and he's just not going to tell you about okay. it. Anyway, that's so not a spoiler, right? It's fine. About static characters. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Listen, uh, we're going to have an episode here that's just you ragging on books for like 60 minutes. No, no, nobody wants that. I want it. No, I love it. don't like it. <laughs> I get so angry. You guys heard me the way that I was shouting about Akatar. What spot? What episode was that? Gosh, uh, it was like one of the first ones of this season. Oh, yeah, it was like it was the, yeah. it was the very first episode of season three. Yeah, that's how I get when I'm talking on the phone um, to Charlie when I 
have read a book that I do not enjoy. And that's, I yell like that. And I remember I was actually talking to, uh, we were visiting our friends in Oklahoma and I was talking to my friend Nathan and we were talking about Akatar and he goes, wow, you're so angry. Uh, anyways, it's fine. Um, so back to the point. <laughs> back to the point, which is those books are an example of characters who don't have anywhere to go with their arc because they started out cool and mm-hmm. they, so they didn't have anywhere to go. I don't care about whatever you think that else that he did or whatever. It wasn't good enough for me. And that's how it is. Um, so, so when you plot backwards from a character arc, you know, okay, I want them to end up this cool, confident, competent person. I want them to embrace being a leader. I want them to, you know, like, or you can go, I want them to be humbled and actually, you know, like, be a you know somebody who thinks about others i want them to be selfless i want all this stuff so if you have somebody and you're like i want them to start out you know to end up selfless and good and a leader who listens to their people then if you want to have a satisfying story you're definitely going to want them to start out somewhere more along the lines of selfish person who doesn't listen you know but that's only if that's what you want your story to kind of be about is them growing and becoming better as a person mm-hmm. right like you know we have a whole episode also in season one about plotting character arcs and plot at the same time mm-hmm. because they should inform each other and that's just kind of like you know how i would go with that one no absolutely because the height of your character arc correlates directly with the height of the plot and i'm thinking mm. when i say height i'm thinking of you know when People diagram a, like a story arc on a whiteboard or whatever, and it goes up and yes. then down. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but yeah, that's what I would. That's what I would say as far as that goes. Which like w- really has a really brief answer that I turned into something very long and ranty. And I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. So I'm thinking about like in a mystery, you have the the climax of the plot is this thing, and you know that at by the end of this book, you want your character to say be more selfless, Mm -hmm. right? And so you have to think, well, how does the reveal of the whodunit or whatever it may be affect this character and why? Mm -hmm. And find ways that it can can connect to that character. Again, your macros ways, working back from that. And then it'll give you a really good place for where your character is going to start. Because the trick with this too is that you don't want to wind back too much because you don't want your character to be completely unlikable at the beginning of a book yes um yes i did that with smitha in followed by frost she is utterly unlikable from the beginning of the book and i think they're only i've had people say so many people say they almost stopped reading the book in chapter one because she's so unlikable and i think the only reason i can get around that is because she does get cursed by the end of chapter one which hopefully hooks readers into chapter two. And by chapter three, she is forced already to start changing. Mm -hmm. And it takes like four years for her to get 75% of the way there. But those four years are covered in like three chapters. Yeah. And I think that's the only reason I can get away with it because nobody wants to read about a stuck up, hot 17 year old, super selfish teenager who doesn't give two Fs about anybody else for 
an entire book until she changes. So you do have to be careful with how you handle that. That is such a good point. And I will say too, you also have to be careful because these days, especially readers do have such a short attention span. Like, Mm -hmm. and if you, and it just depends on your genre too. Like if I start a fantasy romance and the the main character has certain aspects of personality that I don't like. I kind of don't trust authors anymore to have them arc out of it. Yeah, no, I have the same thing. Well, and that's the thing because we talk about, oh, do this, you know. And I would, I think, though, if a character like Smitha popped up, I'd be like, well, at least she's interesting. <laughs> at least she's not just angry and sassy like 90% of female main characters. Oh, wait, there was something else I was going to say about arcs in specifically mysteries and thrillers, though. Um, we should just mention in passing, you are allowed, so if you're writing a mystery series, like Stephanie Plum series, or like, oh, Spencer Watts' Bucket, like those mystery series that have like 20 books in them, and the same detective, and like all that stuff, those characters don't actually arc (laughs) in each book. They have what's called a flat arc, which means, yeah, no, they don't change. They're just there to solve the mystery. So, um, if you're writing a book series like that, that is one, that is like, pretty much the only case I can think of in which people don't expect your character to have massive changes of heart every single book because mm-hmm. that would get fatiguing over this series. Yeah. Yes. Right. But if you're going to be writing 10, 15, 20 mystery books with the same detective, mm-hmm. yeah, just that in that genre, it is more of a, a thing to have a flat arc. But if you're doing like a standalone that you know, where you have like, oh, this average Jane is going to go solve the mystery, or maybe there's only going to be five books in your mystery series instead of 20, um, you would want them to arc a little more or a lot more if it's it's just one. So yeah. And I would think for a really long series, because like nobody is perfect. I think if there's like elements of the character that could grow and change, you can take three books to do it because, and the arc is a lot more subtle. But it doesn't get exhausting for the reader. I also think something that's really great to avoid winding back too much is maybe for every weakness you give this character, give them two strengths on top of it. So you might have a character who's really selfish, but they're also very competent and very funny. And so even though this thing that they do bugs me, this is hilarious and they're really good at this other thing. Yes. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Like your character can have that needs to have weaknesses, but does still need to be likable. And there are are strategies for that. Have we ever talked about that? Like how to make how to give like a flawed how to make a flawed character likable, or how to make an unlikable character like readable. That might be a good podcast thing. No, but that could be our next episode. Next episode. Um, when I think about this, the first thing I think of is Jake Peralta from Brooklyn. Is it nine one one? Brooklyn nine nine. Nine nine, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Cause like I remember watching the first episode of that and just waiting for this guy to be this complete buffoon cop because he's kind of a buffoon and he is so yeah. competent when it comes to cop work. I was very pleasantly surprised by that. And so he can have these buffoon or weird emotional moments, but he's <laughs> so competent and he's funny that I'm totally yeah. cool going with it. And he I don't remember, it's been a while since I've watched it if he has a, a series arc or not. But uh, I mean, well, also Brooklyn Nine-Nine is like an absurd comedy. So comedy characters and sitcom characters often have flat arcs also. But I genuinely to this day still think that the absolute best TV for teaching you about 
not only making unique and interesting characters, but having amazing character arcs is Parks and Rec. They do I it. I knew you were going to say that. So yes. amazingly. So yeah. good. I, yes. ugh, I've rewatched that series so many times and they are freaking brilliant at character. So if you have not watched it, watch it. And I know people get annoyed when you're like, skip the first season. It gets better in the second season. Blah, blah, blah. It does get better in the second season. Yeah. I love Parks and Rec also. So I'll second that. Cool. Well, Charlie just hit uh, the brain wall, you guys. It's evening time and we usually podcast in the mornings and Charlie hits the brain wall. What time is it? It's not even six o'clock where it's, you are. It doesn't matter. I started working at 840 today. Oh I get guys, I I work in the mornings and I get slowly dumber as the day progresses. And so by the time we get in the evening, I just can't like at the point now when I go to conferences, I'm like, please don't make me teach after lunch. I just... Seriously, I always get up there and just drool for 50 minutes and then ask for questions. <laughs> Support. Um, well, I guess we're going to we may do we may do another one because I was like, oh, we should plot backwards. And then Charlie was like, no, my brain is carpet. And I was like, well, OK, so we'll maybe save that for the future. If you guys would like, actually, maybe send us some endings that we could plot backwards from and we'll show you guys kind of how we do it. And we'll see if that helps you. Because I love, what I love most is the practical application, right? Like, I want to give you guys, like, actual tools. Like, this is what you do. Workshops and stuff, yeah. Yes. So we're going to do that. And, but for now, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Because I'm hungry. And I'm in a parking lot. Caitlin needs to eat. And she has D&D in one hour. (laughs) I do have D&D in one hour. And I'm so excited. Because I love D&D. Anyways, um, so I'm Caitlin McFarland. And wait, what are our sign-off things, Charlie? If you liked this Please podcast, rate, review, read our books, subscribe, <laughs> subscribe. That's 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 an important one. Um, I am Charlie Holmberg, Charlie N. Holmberg. I'm going to let you guys know right now that in professional matters, I really hate it when people leave off the middle initial. <laughs> and I know yeah, that's kind of diva-esque, but I really do hate it. It's like, it's Charlie N. Holmberg. <laughs> um, you can find me at charlieanholmberg.com. And mostly on Instagram at CN Holmberg, but I am also technically on Facebook and Twitter at CN Holmberg. And I write contemporary romance under CN Holmberg as well. And I shall repeat that for the month of October, if you are an American and apparently also Canadian citizen, you can get my newest novel, Keeper of Enchanted Rooms, for free on Amazon Prime if you are an Amazon Prime member. And if you're not, you can get it for a buck ninety-nine. Book officially releases on 11.1. Also, are you guys planning for NaNoWriMo? Why not? Get on it. Get on it. I am planning for NaNoWriMo. I've kind of started something, but then also I am now working on another thing for the app that I work for, and I've started taking some work for another author. So I'm busy, but I'm still, I want to do it. I want to NaNo. Um, so yes, I will be with you guys. And the Dragonsworn series republishes next year. Yes. We will have dates for you as soon as we can figure them out. We are currently looking for a cover yes. artist. So just keep you guys up. And I am, look, warning to you guys who have read it and like it in its current state. I am rewriting it and I'm making Kai feel less like a 12-year-old. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. It's my book and I'm kind of doing it for me. But I am 20% of the way through just like some some light work on Soul of Smoke. Um, so yeah, those will be coming out next year. It's going to be great. Oh, wait, I have to have a pun. I always forget now. How could you, Charlie? How dare you? Uh, after the Grinch, 
stole all of the toys down the village, he came up to the highest point of his story, also known as the Who Summit. First of all, it was Mount Crumpet. Anyways. Mount Crumpet is the Who Summit. Okay, love you guys. Love Bye. Love you guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>